Welcome to day nine of the 12 days of Christmas. Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Selene, and as always, I am so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have an extra special uh, guest coming from across the country, which is super exciting. Her name is Mia Braithwaite, and she is known as the Fat Athlete on TikTok and Instagram. Of course, her social media handles will be linked in the description box. Um, but I'm so excited to have her on, and if you I really highly suggest that you guys give her a follow. She kind of redefines what we consider movement and running. And, you know, her and I were talking prior to us recording, so we'll get into it. But what I love what your bio says is learn to run in the body you have now. And I think that that is just so amazing, so exciting. So if you were someone who feels like you've always wanted to try to run, but you felt like you didn't fit the quote unquote stereotypical mode of like what people consider runners to be or worthy and things like that, please, I invite you to follow Mia. And Mia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love having these conversations and being on podcasts with people who can amplify that message that people <laughs> more that running that, you know, fitness in general is accessible to more bodies than we let ourselves believe. So thank you for giving me this platform. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to let everyone know, um, if you haven't been following along on the other, um, 12 days of Christmas episodes, I am recovering from COVID. So my voice is a little off and, I'm a little nasally and I apologize for that. So I just wanted to preface that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like one of your your posts from about a week ago is it's like an affirmation. Repeat after me. My worth as a runner is not tied to my body size, shape or pace. And then you go into as a runner in a larger body, you receive a lot of messages telling you otherwise. Ignore them. Discover what it means to run for yourself. Don't compare yourself to others or expect that you will run like them. You won't run anyway. And I just love that so much. And um, I think it would be great if we could talk a little bit about how you started this, this journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hate, I hate the way that my journey started <laughs> um, because it goes against so much of what I currently stand for and what I've learned to stand for over the years. But the whole reason I started running um, over 13 years ago, almost 14 now, um, was to lose weight. And, uh, and I, I ended up having <clears throat> some major back pain, um, and, uh, you know, the kind of pain where you can't sit, stand or lie down comfortably. And, um, I had a terrible experience going into the doctor who was reading my x-rays after I'd gotten them done. And he basically told me that, uh, I needed to lose over a hundred pounds. My back was 20 years ahead of where it should be. Um, and the only way that I was going to fix it was to lose weight. But he told me, um, when you're over a hundred pounds overweight, there's no way you're going to do it on your own. You have to go get weight, weight loss surgery. Mm. I love that look on your face. Cause that's the look I get every time I repeat this story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it, so my husband and I at the time, you know, and this is a doctor talking to me at the time. Wow. I didn't know that I could advocate for myself or, or I didn't know any different. And so my husband and I were like, all right, well, let's go to a weight loss surgery seminar. We sat through that. And as I'm sitting through this seminar, I'm to this day, I am absolutely flabbergasted that anyone thinks that weight loss surgery is the easy way out because it absolutely is not. It's basically 
it's basically a surgical eating disorder. And um, any of the ways that you manipulate your digestive system to lose weight are surgically, just surgical eating disorders. And you have to change everything about the way that you'd take in food and nutrition for the rest of your life to be able to maintain the quote unquote benefits from this. Yeah. Um, we left that seminar. My husband has always been very much anti, um, elective surgery, um, just in general. And, uh, and I was at that point very much like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I, I want to change what I'm doing and how I'm eating on my own. And I want to basically say, I mean, can I swear? Is swearing okay? (laughs) (laughs) I want to say fuck you to that doctor and, um, and tell him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I can do this. Um, unfortunately, uh, doing this meant going out and, um, cutting my daily calorie intake down to 1500 calories and starting to run, which you ended up um, being working out almost every single day. Um, and, uh, overall just dieting away 80 pounds over eight months, which is way too fast and very unhealthy. Um, but the good thing that came out of it was my running journey. Mm -hmm. Um, long story long, (laughs) uh, in the long run, I'm currently, uh, heavier than I was when I was first told I needed to lose all that weight to avoid the back issue recurring. At the time I got one cortisone shot in my lower back because I had a bulging disc and, um, that cortisone shot or whatever it was that the doctor did to fix the issue with my back, um, has made it so that even, even now I have never had that problem with my back again. And whether that was because I built up the muscles and strengthened my Mm. core and things through running or, you know, the doctor performs some miracle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I weigh more now than I did when I first started yep. running. And I still have never had a problem with my back. So that is my fuck you to that doctor. Um, and also the fact that I feel better in who I am, in my body, in my movement. And I've created this journey from 13 years ago when that doctor told me that I'm never going to be able to do whatever um, without losing the weight, I've managed to find my way. And along the way, found found a way to help other people do the same thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> that is amazing. And first of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. The fat phobia in the medical field is astounding, um, which is a huge part why I left working in a hospital. Um, mm-hmm. Because it just, I mean, I've spoken million, millions of stories about fights that I would get into with the doctors about how they were treating patients and patients that were, you know, not, you know, they they were uh, just not doing well, very ill, not able to feed themselves. And when I would say, okay, we need to talk to the family about putting in a feeding tube because they haven't been eating and we need to get some sort of nutrition into them and IV isn't doing it. The doctor would say something like, well, they could stand to lose a few pounds, which is heinous and disgusting. Um, and so anyways, that's like a whole other (laughs) tangent, Mm -hmm. but you know, weight loss surgery is a very serious thing and how easily doctors tell people to do it. And the amount of time until from like when they're told to do it to when they can get it is insane. And they don't realize, like people don't realize how bad it is for your body. 
because, you know, they view this endpoint. Okay, I want to lose weight. Okay, I want to lose whatever the amount of pounds is or oh, okay, I want to get to this size. But like you're depending on which weight loss surgery you have, which one of the most common ones is the gastric sleeve where they literally cut off uh, half of your stomach. Um, first of all, it's not permanent. Like yeah. I have many clients that come to me suffering with disordered eating and eating disorders, having had that surgery. And a lot of them come back to me at a weight that they were prior to what their surgery was. It's not, you know, a permanent thing. And and it shouldn't, and you know, our weight should never be a permanent thing. Our weight will fluctuate throughout yeah. our lifespan. Um, and so it's just so annoying. And then also another thing is, is like, what about people in smaller bodies that have back pain? Like, right. what do you tell them? Like, tell them to lose a hundred pounds. Like, it's so stupid. It's 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 lazy medicine. It's lazy yeah. medical advice, and it just makes no sense to me. And so, I think your your personal experience just shows like your weight was not the cause of whatever that was. And now, like, you know, many years later, in a different body than what you were even prior to that, um, you're running and you're living a healthy life and you're happy and that's way more important than anything else than what the scale says you know so a doctor will be happy if a person is at a lower body weight but isn't exercising and isn't taking care of themselves you know it's just it's insane to me um and so you know you you made a few good points how you talked about like I don't know what has caused me not to have that pain again like I doubt the doctor did any magic but it's very interesting where you talk about how you built up your your body in terms of your muscle and your core strength and all those things are so important um and here you are older you Mm -hmm. know which you know as we get older we know our muscle mass decreases if we don't keep up with movement you know our body just kind of doesn't move the same way and so like you're literally proving the opposite of what like we are taught or what people generally think which is amazing well and and I think that it's just the best thing that came out of all of this was my relationship to movement it wasn't just that I learned that I loved running you know and it wasn't just that running is my thing honestly and I was just telling my my um my class participants um an hour or so ago um excuse me my favorite type of movement is dance and Mm. I danced ballet for eight years when I was younger and it's always been one of my I mean just like being able to go into my office turn on some music and just move I have I have lost all of the skill and the dance vocabulary that I used to have I no longer have that but when I turn on that music and I just move my body and it feels good and I feel like comfortable within myself and my Mm. movement that is so important and so it's not considered when people talk about fitness they don't consider the joyfulness of movement and how much it can benefit us through just enjoying that movement and that came for me that came from this journey that I've been on learning that I love running and learning that um, as much as I love running, there are parts of movement that I have let go of or that I have, um, you know, no longer enjoyed because of all the messages that have been sent about my body and whether or not my body belonged in these spaces. 
And even to this day, as much as I would love to, I'm not going to go to a dance class because of the body that I'm in, right? But I'm going to stand in my office and turn on the music and I'm going to dance. I'm just going to be, right? Um, because through this journey that I've been on, both in learning um, you know, how to accept my body and love my body the way it is and have build that relationship with my mm. body and my movement, all of those things have helped me recognize how much movement benefits us in general. Yeah. There are so many things and, and we call them health promoting activity. They're health promoting, you know, behaviors, health promoting yeah. movements, whatever, um, behaviors and, um, all of the health promoting behaviors that we can take part in things like prioritizing sleep, things like movement and doing movement. You enjoy things like eating, actually eating food and, you know, remembering to eat food during throughout the day, even if you don't prioritize it in the morning, like I might have done this morning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, we forget that all of these components of health are multi-layered, multifaceted yeah. and Health is so much more than just going to the gym several times a week. Health is so much more than being, you know, physically active. It's also making sure that you see your doctor once a year or see your der dermatologist for mm -hmm. the, the, the skin checkup. You know, there's so many more aspects to health than just yeah. being fat or not fat. Correct. A hundred percent. And you know, it's so unfortunate. So like, you know, when you talk about like the dance class thing, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, not personally, personally, I'm not someone who enjoys dancing. It's not really my vibe, but I totally get what you mean, like in terms of like not feeling like you belong. And it's like actually more of a hassle to have to like deal with it than go. And then it takes away the joy from it. And, you know, like when I go to the gym, I generally am one of the only girls in the weightlifting section and I am generally always the largest sized person there yeah. and you know it took me a long time to get to a place where I found joy in movement um but there was a period of time where it felt like super uncomfortable yeah and and always like the ironic thing is is like most of the trainers who work at gyms and most of the people who are weightlifting at gyms like they're not even doing it the right way. Like they're going to hurt themselves and they have like terrible form and they're doing all these crazy things. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then you have me, you know, someone in a larger size body who people wouldn't necessarily consider being like a fit person yeah. who prioritizes form, who prioritizes, you know, making sure that, okay, if this weight feels too heavy and my form is not as great, I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but not as great. Like, okay, I know to go down or, you know, things like that. And then you have guys like piling on the weight. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you what are you people doing? Like, this is insane. And so, you know, it's, it's just very unfortunate that our society is so fat phobic. It's like very exhausting. And yeah. obviously, like we do a lot of this work to try to like, reframe what people think about it. But it also makes it very daunting to even engage in it. So it's like, you know, kind of like when these fat phobic people come out of the woodwork, when they saw that like Nike had plus size, quote unquote, models on their uh, display, like the mannequins. Meanwhile, when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, that looks like a regular size person, right? like an right. average size person. Um, yeah. And so the point is, is like, when they're making, you know, extended quote unquote sizing and people are like, oh, well, you know, you're just, in, you're, you're promoting obesity. So it's like, so you want people to not be fat, 
but then you don't want them to go to workout classes. You don't want them to, you know, go and buy workout clothes. Like, what are we supposed to do? Right. Wear exactly. paper bags everywhere. Like, it's just. And then they. And then they try to tell us that fat phobia doesn't exist or anti-fat exactly. bias doesn't exist, right? And it's just it's it's exhausting, but there's there's some there's some peace in knowing that you and I are in fields where we can reach people and help change minds, right? We can convince people and really what I do, and I've said this multiple times over the last couple of weeks, what I do is I change minds. Um, I, I may teach a little bit about running, like in, in my group today, I taught a little bit about, um, how to incorporate strength training and, um, and cross training, (laughs) excuse me, um, how to incorporate strength training and cross training into a running routine. Um, but there was only like maybe five or 10 minutes of that discussion. Mm. The whole rest of the discussion was about, learning to accept our bodies. It was hearing other people's stories. It was commiserating about the things that are are going on in our lives that make it so that fitness is not as, is, is not as pervasive and, and punishing as it usually is portrayed to be right. Or as portrayed to should be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there's so much of what I do that is more about connection and making those making those connections and helping people understand that their bodies are fine just the way they are. And our goal is to create um, patterns of movement or, you know, creating habits yeah. that allow us to move in ways that feel good in our bodies and that can help us improve our health without having to be gym rats. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, it's like kind of like a total approach, you know? So generally, um, when I start working with a new client, the, the main thing I focus on is like helping them heal their relationship with food if they are struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder. That's always the primary goal. And for most people who have spent their lives dieting and struggling with their body, um, feeling good in their body, they mostly all have a disordered relationship with movement. Um, and it and it kind of hides itself because, you know, when you see someone who is like quote unquote committed to their, you know, workout routine and this and that, people look and they're like, wow, they're so dedicated. And it's and I always go back to this story um from when I was in grad school, one of my professors in um it was an advanced energy and exercise physiology class. Mm. And she was like, uh, when you see someone in the middle of the winter running in like a snowstorm, most people will look at that person and say, wow, they're so dedicated. But when I look at that person, I'm like, that person has some sort of disordered relationship with movement Mm -hmm. that even in the middle of a blizzard, like what, what reason could you possibly have that you need to be out there in the middle of a blizzard running? Like, you know, there's literally no need and no reason. And of course, like, you know, there's times where maybe like you don't feel like moving your body, but like, you know, it'll benefit your mental health. So instead of doing something more vigorous, you'll just do some light stretching or just a a nice, you know, leisurely walk outside. So of course, like, you know, there's ways to say like, okay, you know, for my mental health, I've been in the house all day, this will benefit me. And, and, And always the intention behind your choice, you know, makes or breaks like what the what the difference would be if it's coming from a disordered place or if it's coming from a loving place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, so, so let's get into how you started this 
this like I know obviously I want you to get into talking about your your coaching Mm -hmm. which I think is so cool so like you know I talked to you a little bit about how like in theory like I always thought like oh I wanted to be a runner this is when I was like in my disordered relationship um period because like I had this vision of like a thin version of me running and that person, that version of me has never existed mm-hmm. in my entire life. I've I've always been in a bigger body um, since childhood. So, you know, that was never me. And I ended up finding love in yoga and strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love like you literally work down, you work out how to break down like a 5k, which I don't even know what that means. But like, it sounds <laughs> like, you know, something that you hear a lot of people like, oh, I'm doing a 5k. Uh-huh. <laughs> no idea what that means. Um, So if you could just explain a how you started this, because obviously you started it with yourself. Mm-hmm. And be like how you decided to like, share this on social media and to start this business, which I think is freaking phenomenal um so please share of course I would love to okay so a 5k is 5,000 meters it's just 3.1 miles and generally it's uh, it's it's kind of like the accepted distance like everybody who starts running thinks that they have to run a 5k right and so most people who start running think I gotta go out and run three miles and the the idea is that, well, I see all of these, um, you know, thin and yeah. uh, leggy runners out there running the entire time. So obviously that's A, what I need to look like. B, that's what I'm mm. going to look like if I start running. And C, that I need to run the entire time to be able to be considered a runner. And all of those mindsets are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, Uh, And I, in my, in my coaching, so what I do is I do virtual workshops and um, I do occasionally do an in-person workshop um, where uh, I gather people from my local area in the Puget Sound. Um, But most of the, most of my workshops are virtual. And so what that means is that everybody gathers once a week and we talk about our experiences with the, the running and movement of that week. And then I give them some running instruction and then I give them basically an assignment for the next week. And I include things like cross training and strength training and that kind of thing. And then they can take the assignment that I've given them and, and apply it however it works for their lives. Mm. So if they're able to run, you know, three days a week, then they can go run three days a week and they can run based on the way that I, I, I model for them Mm -hmm. or give them kind of a guideline. Um, I always... I always start my, um, my athletes with, uh, run walk intervals. And I tell them, this is a guideline. We're going to start with this many seconds of running, and then you're going to walk for this much, you know, time, however it is. And I want you to feel, I call it an exploration run. Mm. And I tell them, I want you to explore how you feel in this run And if you find that if you, if let's say I gave them 30 seconds of running, if you feel that after 20 seconds, you are dying, stop, use that as your guideline, explore how your body feels as you are running. And then from there, we go into the form and we talk about how you should be putting, you know, placing your feet, where you Mm -hmm. should hold your arms, where you should hold your hands, how your breathing should feel. And so all of these, you know, specifics come after you check in with your body and mm-hmm. understand how you feel in that movement. Because when you are going to do something that is good for your body, 
you want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that's going to allow you to continue doing it, right? So that you actually love it. And punishing yourself is not a way to develop a healthy relationship with movement or a a healthy practice of movement. Um, So finding a way, exploring your body in your movement first, and then pulling in all of the specifics of how to run Mm. it's it's more important to understand and check in with your body before you start realizing I need to start pulling in all of these little things like I need to breathe like this I need to step like this I need to shoulders back like this or whatever so I always teach my athletes to check in with their bodies first and then we talk about okay well now that you know that this feels good let's focus on our form. Now that you know that this feels good, let's focus on our breathing. So that's where it all comes from. And oh, I love that. That's so cool. That's kind of in a way, um, when I start working with a client one-on-one, all of my clients are one-on-one. I just have them start eating three meals a day. Yeah. And one to two snacks, depending on like what works for them, because most people like aren't even eating three meals a day. Um, and so they're like, wait, that's all you want me to start doing. I'm like, yep, just want you to eat whatever you want. I don't care what it is. Just start eating. And, you know, so that's kind of like what you're saying to just start, you know, the, the, the 30 second, the 20 second check in and have that exploration. And, you know, I think that that's just such an accessible way for you to like break it down. Yeah. And it makes it seem so less daunting. So like you have these posts. And like I said, um, please give her a follow on social media. I will link at all of her um, social media handles in the show notes. Um, and you talk about a 45 minute 5K. Because like when I hear three miles, like it doesn't sound like a lot. But also mm-hmm. like it's not very frequent that I do walk three miles. Yeah. So like, um, you know, you break it down to like, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, two to three times a week at a 15 minute 30 second pace and then 10 times one minute one time and so you break it down all these things walking uphill downhill all this stuff and I think it's just it makes it so much less scary yeah (laughs) well and the problem I mean the reason that I did those particular posts the the 45 and the 50 minute 5k is because when you follow running accounts you don't see those you see 20 minute 5k 25 minute 5k 30 minute 5k and it seems like when i'm in a running group everybody's always you know shooting for a sub 35k which is is wonderful for those people who are in in you know who are capable of doing that or who have been training for that or yeah. have that as a goal there's nothing wrong with having that as a goal however a lot of people in larger bodies especially the people who would tend to listen to me yeah. um, are generally slower runners there's yeah. nothing wrong with being a slower runner there's nothing wrong with having a goal of a 50 minute 5k you're going exactly the same distance as somebody who's running exactly. a 30 minute 5k and why does not why does instruct for that not exist you know why do why do our running instructors not focus on people that are are slower than this particular pace it's a really easy way to exclude people from your running community which sucks because like if it's something that someone you know there there are people that might be listening to this podcast um or that follow your your eye um and they may feel just so like, you know, out of place, like what place is there for me? And I think that like, you know, you talk about breaking down it into simple to bits, which I think is so helpful. Um, And you talk a lot about like mindset shifts, like 
reframing what it's like to be a runner in a larger size body. And so maybe you can go into a little bit of like what like common myths you hear from people and like, you know, because because, you know, you talked about the um the 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 doctor from many years ago yeah. and how like you're like, OK, now I'm a runner. I'm in an even larger size body body composition wise, likely very different than what, you know, it was prior to this. Um, but you haven't had any back pain. So when people think of like a bigger person running, they're like, what about their knees? What about their back? What about their joints? <laughs> you know, th that's the first thing that I think like a lot of people probably think about. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's <clears throat> one of the first comments that, uh, that I get is, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see you in 10 years when you can't walk because your knees are destroyed or something. And, and I'm like, you know what? Thin people get bad knees too. Yeah. <laughs> and and there is absolutely a ton of medical evidence that supports pe people in larger bodies uh, with weight bearing exercise. Weights especially is is incredible for um, longevity. But um, weight bearing activities such as running helps to build your joints and it builds those yeah. connections and your tendons and your muscles and everything and more movement leads to more movement. Movement leads to longevity. And yeah. so when people say things like you're going to ruin your knees, I'm going to show them the studies that say that running actually yeah. increases knee strength. Right. Um, and when it comes to people saying that, uh, you know, um, oh, some of the other things, what do I hear? Um, I get a lot of, uh, well, why, why are you still fat if you run as much as you do? So it's, and the, there's a lot of, well, you must be, you must not be, you know, be telling the truth because if you were running as much as you do, you wouldn't still be fat. And there's so much misunderstanding mm -hmm. of bodies in general, but also fat bodies. And when it comes to the, what I do, I'm a distance runner. Like, um, and I've been injured over the last couple of years. Cause I had, uh, I wore the wrong shoes and ended up with uh, Achilles tendonitis and that took me forever oh. to get over finally getting back into consistent running yeah. again, which has been amazing, but injury happens. Right. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to bird walk over to this one. Injury happens. Yep. But the thing is when you get injured and when people get injured, they just automatically think, well, I can't run. I get injured every time I run. And the thing is, there's a lot involved in running to do it right, to avoid that injury that people don't know about. And especially if they're in larger bodies and don't feel comfortable in running communities yeah. to be able to find the people to talk to about these things. Yeah. If they don't, if they're not on social media and they don't find me, you know, yeah. then um, they're not going to know things like, well, when you're running, you need to make sure that your toes don't go any further past your chest than this. And, um, and, you know, you need to make sure that you're keeping your shoulders back and down and all these other little things that can help you avoid injury. And they're the reason that, I've avoided most injuries throughout my 13 and a half years of running in this larger body, right? I mean, I've even when I lost that 80 pounds, I was still over 200 pounds, okay? So it's not that I was ever in a smaller body, even when I did my last restrictive period. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, that's still been 13 and a half years of me running. And in that 13 and a half years, I trained for a marathon. I ran a full marathon. I ran 40 miles a week in training for that marathon. And I still have managed to, even throughout the injuries that, because when everybody starts running, they develop things like plantar fasciitis, shin splints, they develop runner's knee, all those things. There are ways to avoid those things, but people have, those things happen to people and they think, oh, well, that means I can't be a runner. 
that doesn't mean that they can't be a runner. Yeah. <laughs> it just means that there's something that they need to adjust about their running to be yeah. able to enjoy it more and not end up hurt. And that's for anyone in any size body. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's like the thing that we have to like harp on, you know, um, when, when you talked about the situation with your back, um, and something that I try to have like clients do when, when they go to the doctor and the doctor brings up the weight situation. First of all, I try the, I try to have them get a new doctor because that doctor clearly is incompetent. However, I understand there are certain limitation restrictions depending on where you live and your health insurance and all that stuff. Um, but it's always like, I mean, I've always been in a bigger body and I've never had back pain one time in my life. Mm-hmm. So like if every single large person had back pain, you know, and but no I have friends that are in much smaller bodies than me that they have chronic back pain, yeah. you know, and, you know, part of what I think, you know, some people are just meant to be in larger size bodies and accepting that was like literally like life changing for me, but my body has always carried me. Yeah. So my legs are really freaking strong and my core is very strong, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you talk about injuries and things, especially as aging goes and um, how, you know, bone density decreases and things like that, the best thing you can do to preserve your core strength, your bone health is to move your body, exactly. in whatever way, shape or form that might be. Um yeah. And so I think that it's just so important for people. So if you're listening, maybe you are someone who is interested in running or maybe you are someone who is considering being interested in running. I think it's definitely a way to just explore some type of movement that you enjoy. And when, when you run, I assume you're running outside. Yeah. Yeah. I generally run outside. I, if I do have to go uh, use a treadmill, it's at the gym because my treadmill is currently broken, but, <laughs> but yes, I mostly run outside. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's like, it's just so refreshing to be like outside and the nature and things like that. And so some people listening to this may not live in a community where they have access to that. You know, if you live in like more of a city environment, I would assume it's like a little bit more difficult, obviously, um, if you don't really have parks accessible and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I'm I'm assuming you help your athletes with all of the, those things. So, um, yeah. So and, and I absolutely, um, we talk about, you know, different, different ways of running, different, you know, types of, of running and running on the treadmill versus running on the road versus running on trails and things like that. But I, I did actually kind of want to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago, um, where you said that some people are meant to be in larger bodies. Mm. And, um, I think that that's a hundred percent true. Um, obviously you look at my dad and you see that I'm built exactly like him. Mm. He's six foot two and 250 pounds, right? So he's a big guy. And yeah. I was not built like my mom who has teeny tiny little bird wrists and very, very tiny and small. And, um, so I have the genetics of my, whatever, you know, Germanic history my dad has, and I was meant to be in a larger body, but, um, excuse my dog. Um, <laughs> but, uh, my also there's the fact that our society has an eating disorder in general, right. Um, and people in larger bodies aren't just in those larger bodies because of genetics, but there's 
other, you know, socially, social determinants of health that yes. are in play. But there's also the fact that um, the fact that we have been on diets since yep. we were very, very young. I mean, my first diet was when I was 10 years old, when my mom put me on Weight Watchers. And the the weight cycling that you do, yes. the losing weight, then gaining it back, then losing weight and then getting it back. And the, the damage that that does to your yes. metabolism. I mean, the way that I am now as an intuitive eater and as someone who has been going through this intuitive eating journey and finding that relationship with movement, um, the body that I'm in now is larger than it's ever been, but it's not because I stuff my face all day. Mm -hmm. It's because my entire life I have been dieting and not dieting and dieting and not dieting, losing weight, starving myself, and then gaining it back and damaging my metabolism throughout all of that. So my body just, your body is so intelligent and it yeah. wants to protect you. And so every time that you starve yourself, anytime that you engage in disordered eating behaviors, you are teaching your body that it can't trust what it, yeah. it wants you to do. Right. And so your, your body then responds by trying to protect you by putting on more protective layers and reducing your metabolism. So, you know, our bodies are the way they are for so many different reasons. And it's not just genetics. It's not just social sure. determinants of health. It's not just, you know, the things that we eat or how, how much we move. And ugh, I just, I could go on a soapbox. It's so true. And like something that I always had thought about within myself and I discussed with my clients is that like you, I was dieting from like seven or eight years old. That's when I first remembered knowing that I was larger and that that was a, a problem and that I had right. to restrict. Um, And that's really sad that people put children on diets. And I know that, you know, back then or at that point, you know, our parents thought that that was like helping us, but right. it actually like hurt us so much more. And a hundred percent, like if you weren't put on Weight Watchers when you were 10 years old and I wasn't in that position when I was seven or eight we would have probably ended up in smaller bodies, not yeah. small bodies where, you know, right. you're referring to your mom, but like a smaller version of yourself um, because the, that weight cycling does a lot of damage to your metabolism, to your, your muscle mass. It's very hard to build up muscle mass. And also it's during your growing years yeah. when your body needs that energy. Um, yes. So that's like a whole other, I have a, an episode that's coming out specifically about weight cycling um, yes. Because I had a comment from someone, I don't think they followed me, but they commented and they were like, well, what happens after you heal your relationship with food? Then do you support intentional weight loss? And the answer is no, but I felt like it needed to be like more, I needed to go more in depth. And I definitely discussed a lot of those things more in depth. Um, but it's true, you know, all that damage that it has done, all of that restriction, all that stress that we put on our bodies. It changed our bodies and that's also in a way what why we are in the place that we are in. Um and like your body is going to continue to change. Mm -hmm. You know, in ten years from now, we don't know what we're gonna look like. Um and, yeah. and and that's okay and that's fine. Um, but as long as you're prioritizing your mental health and your physical health and you're doing what makes you feel good, um, which is kind of counterintuitive because like we were always <laughs> taught to like, you know, you have to give up this, you have to restrict that, you have to force yourself to do this type of movement. It seems very scary to kind of give up that, you know, rigid kind of way of thinking and just doing what feels good. But in the end, like what feels good is what you're going to stick with and what is going to help you in the long run. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, any, any movement or eating practice is going to be um, encouraged and you are going to want to do it more if you like doing it. Right. So make sure that you are checking in with your body in, in any of these practices, whether it is a movement or an eating or existing practice and make sure that you understand. (laughs) No, a hundred percent. And so before we go, I would love for you just to give us a little bit of insight. I know you're starting a new group in the new year, which is crazily, it'll be a blink of an eye and it'll be 2023, which I still think it's like 2020. So I don't know <laughs> what day it is, where we are, what world we're in. Um, but give everyone a little bit of a tidbit about what that's like, how I, I know it's we're going to have that link from your link tree in yes. the show notes um but just describe what that process is like and so for anyone who maybe feels a little uh afraid or you know a little hesitant um what does that look like cuz you know the new year new you type of thing is always uh-huh. like but this is a different type of new year new you um absolutely so, so let, can we give the <laughs> listeners a little bit more of an understanding about this this new group that you have starting in in the new yes. year Yes. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share oh, this. Of course. Way. But, um, okay. So what I do is several times a year, I offer a four week um, running intensive and I say the word intensive, but it's not really intensive. It's, it's really just an exploration. Um, and my four week program is called focus on foundations. And it is a way for you to learn just the basics of how to run. Um, but also from, you know, a person who has been through, a lot of the things that people in larger bodies have gone through when it comes to developing a practice of movement. And the biggest thing that we, that we discuss is not just how to run, how, you know, form and Mm -hmm. gear and, and breathing and all the things that, that come along with it. But the biggest focus is changing your mind about what movement is and how it feels in your body. And so the, we spend We spend an hour once a week, about 45 minutes, actually once a week talking on zoom. Um, I give the explicit instruction on, um, how to run. And then we just talk and we Mm -hmm. discuss how our journey has been up to this point with movement, whether we have been runners in the past. And if we have the things that have kept us from either being consistent with it or, you know, falling away from it. Um, And we often talk about the things that you and I have talked about here, which is just our relationships with our bodies and how all the messages that we receive tell us that our bodies are not good and that our bodies don't belong and that, um, you know, there are are places where we don't go anymore because we are receiving these messages and we just find support and community within Mm -hmm. this group. Um, and we, it's, it is more of a community than it is instruction. <laughs> I spend probably the least amount of time talking about how to run and more time talking about mindsets and how to yeah. heal our relationships with our bodies and our movement. Oh, that's so exciting. So when does this new, new kind of s- s- season start for you? So we start January 7th at, uh, it'll be 10 a.m. Um, uh, Pacific time. And because I'm in uh, in the Pacific Northwest and um, it is a four week program. So we meet every Saturday at 10 a.m. And let's say someone like can't meet at that time. Could they like watch, you yes. know, like do you sound? Okay, cool. Yes. Because yeah, I'm sure, you know, people have like kids and like work. Some people, you know, I used to work Saturdays, like when I used to work in, in a facility. Um, So I think that that's really great. That's so cool. 
Um, is there any other info that you want to provide the listeners with before we head off? I mean, I would love it if they would follow me on Instagram or TikTok at the underscore fat underscore athlete. Um, I do a lot of, I mean, most of the stuff that we've talked about right now, I've just, I've shared on both of those places. I do share workouts and just some, you know, quick little demonstrations of movement in a larger body. And I get a lot of people saying that they just have never seen people in larger bodies moving in this way. And, and it's, it's easy for me to just get on camera and do a workout and be able to show people this is what it looks like so I I try to do that too that's amazing thank you for all that you do it's it's like it shouldn't be revolutionary and it shouldn't be that but it is and (laughs) like I I try to um when I work with my clients when they detox their social media feed from toxic diet culture stuff I encourage them to follow different size bodies whether it's like fashion stuff cooking things, um, you know, and movement, you know, it's, you know, I, I have curated it so much on my social media so that my FYP is like full of the things that I want to see. Um, and I think it just, it helps you recognize like, Hey, like I, I may not necessarily directly look like this person, but this person is also in a larger size body. And like, look at what they're doing. Like I could do that too. And I think it's so powerful and it's so exciting. And hopefully, um, you know, in this new year, if you are someone who's looking to find a new form of movement, whether it's running or something else, definitely just try to find new places to follow. And a good way to look is to look at mine or Mia's, like who we follow list. Like, is it called a list? I don't know. I'm old, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, but it's a good place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and my favorite follows, um, Myrna Valerio is a, um, uh, she is, she's an inspiration. She is the reason that I do what I do. She was the one who told me I should go out and become a coach. Um, and I had found her and she became like my idol. And when she told me that I was like, well, nobody's going to listen to me. I'm, I'm a, a fat runner. I mean, that nobody wants to hear anything that I have to say. And, and it was, there was a lot of impostery things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she just her. I mean, when your idol tells you to do something, you freaking go and do it. Right. <laughs> so, so I did. And then there's just, there's so many, so many people out there that I would never have done what I do yeah. if I didn't see them. So if you start by, like you said, curating your social media, that's one yes. of the things that I teach my clients as well curate your social media to see bodies that look like yours, that are larger than yours, doing the things that you want to do so that you can really stop so that you can kind of put up that wall of all of these messages that we receive from everywhere, telling us that you're supposed to look like this. Your movement's supposed to look like this. Your food is supposed to look like this and start looking at ways that other people are existing in bodies and loving their existence in their bodies doing things that don't necessarily look like that. Yeah. I love that so much. Thank you, Mia, so much for coming on. Thank you everyone for sticking around with us again, all of the links and social media stuff and info about the new group, please go take a look in the show notes and me. I hope you come back soon. I'm sure there'll, there will be new things for us to talk about in the new year. Um, and thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. And I will see you guys for the next episode. Thank you for having me. Of course.